A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and well, of course, you would be right, but then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we're going to be joined by Rebecca Smith as we continue a series of speaking to those looking to stand in the next general election. Rebecca is a councillor in Devon, and she is the newly selected Conservative prospective parliamentary candidate for South West Devon. But first... Another week in politics and no sign of things settling down. Last night, MPs overwhelmingly voted to approve the conclusions of the Parliamentary Privileges Committee, which concluded that Boris Johnson had deliberately misled Parliament about social gatherings in Downing Street during lockdown. Mr Johnson and his followers responded by trying to discredit the committee and its authors. Meanwhile, a video of one of the parties was leaked to the media, showing the level of contempt in which the rules were held by some of those making them. Oh, and we also have another by-election to add to the others in Somerset, due to the resignation of another MP caught behaving badly. Following this absolute litany of disgrace, I would forgive you for disengaging in disgust. It's a mucky business, Tim, I hear you say, but we cannot afford to disengage. While all this drama is rolling on, people are increasingly struggling. Inflation and food prices remain high. The Bank of England is about to raise interest rates again, and people remortgaging their homes face soaring and unaffordable payments. In the public sector, junior doctors have just held a 72-hour strike, and teachers have announced two more strike days in July. These are partly about pay rises, but also about what is considered to be the chronic underfunding of public services as demand and cost pressures soar, while the government looks for more efficiencies to fund tax cuts. It's clear that we need a major debate around what we expect from our public services and how we are willing to fund those expectations. But it seems to me that there is no space for any serious long-term thinking when those in authority seem to be spending their time protecting their own reputations, focusing on tomorrow's headlines or at the very best, the next election. Christians will legitimately take very different views on issues such as how much tax we should be paying and the role of government in providing public services. But we barely seem to be even weighing up these different views because the challenges we face are being buried under the ongoing melodrama of political personalities. For now, we must work within the system that we have. I have spoken previously in episode 78 about how we might think Christianly about strike action. And I know that many Christians are uncomfortable with trade union actions. Older generations might fear a return to what they consider to be militant unionism that was seen in the 70s and the 80s, or believe that the unions are too closely tied to the Labour Party. In fact, the early trade union movement was driven by people with Christian faith and strongly based on Christian principles as they campaigned against exploitation and for workers to be treated with dignity and fairness. Surely that is still the case. One major question I hear from Christians around this sort of issue is about how we respond to the tension between submitting to God-ordained authority whilst also speaking up to those same authorities against injustice. 
We are familiar with Romans 13, 1 to 2, which says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Yes, but at the same time, a thread of justice runs through the Bible, with many verses echoing Proverbs 31, 8 to 9, speak up. For those who cannot speak for themselves, the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. If we believe that those put in authority over us are presiding over injustices, I think we do have a duty to speak truth to power, as Christians down the ages have done, notably Wilberforce, Shaftesbury and Martin Luther King. The question is, how should we do this? Many Christians involved in the trade union movement would argue that they are working collectively in the interests of others, seeking to negotiate with government rather than using violence, whilst at the same time reminding them how much we all rely on our public services and those who work in them. So we should be respectful, but firm. We should always put others' interests above our own, and we should seek to model Jesus, who approached every situation with deep compassion for those he was confronting. Let's pray for our political system today for those seeking to negotiate better conditions and funding, for those stewarding the public finances and trying to balance difficult decisions with the reality that schools and the NHS are, what it would appear, at breaking point. Let's pray for a move away from political drama and toward wisdom and integrity, and for real solutions to be found by people working together in the interests of the country rather than themselves. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, so to our guest, Rebecca Smith, the prospective parliamentary candidate recently selected for the Conservatives in South West Devon. Good morning, Rebecca. How are you? I'm really well, thanks, Tim. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Yes, it's, uh, it's a, a wet morning in London, but all is well. So let, let's just start off with um, maybe the most important question, which is to tell us a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, about how you came to be a Christian and what that means to you. So I um, became a Christian apparently, aged four, um, and would say I've had a pretty strong faith um, ever since then. There's been sort of points where it's become increasingly kind of real or important um, to me. But um, for a long, long time, actually, I struggled with the fact I thought I had a really boring testimony. And actually, in reflection, I think I've had nearly 40 years of um, knowing God's faithfulness and guidance and and goodness instead so I think actually my faith is incredibly important it sort of shapes everything I do and um I've probably got my parents to thank for quite a lot of that in terms of just ordinary Christian living on a day-to-day basis we're told to accept the kingdom uh, like a little child and so the number of people I speak to who do have a similar testimony it might not be you know I gave up heroin and stopped dealing in arms or what have you then found the Lord it's 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 still a powerful testimony of of Christ's presence in in your life so uh, at some point you became interested in politics tell us a little bit about how that came about and whether you felt there was a link between your being called into politics and your faith in Christ So initially it started with an interest in studying politics so I went to a girls school in Plymouth and 15 we got given the A-level options pages in those days nothing online and um, I spotted that we did A-level politics and I can remember thinking oh that sounds really interesting so my parents weren't political um, they were engaged in the community but they weren't part you know particularly political um, and so I did A-level politics which was all around the political process so how 
how Westminster works, how um, the British political system works, as well as how the US system works as well. And I found it fascinating. So when I was 18, my politics teacher said, you should try and get some work experience. So I went to Sigari, actually, who I was in church with at the time and said, Mr. McLeod says I should get some work experience in the House of Commons. And he said, in typical Gary fashion, do you know any MPs? <laughs> and I said, well, I know you. <laughs> and he said, well, I'd be delighted. So why don't you drop me a letter? In those days, you wrote a letter and we arranged that I'd do a week in Westminster. So that's 24 years ago this year. I went and did that week. And for me at that point, it cemented in me a desire to want to work in politics. It didn't say to me, I want to be an MP. Um mm. But I came away from that thinking this is what I want to do when I leave university. So I was sort of focused on wanting to go and work in Westminster um, at that point. And then over the years, my interest in kind of God speaking to me about politics has continued. And eventually I recognised that that was probably him actually calling me to try to get elected. But it took me till I was in my kind of early, early to mid 30s before I was brave enough to, to actually make that decision. Now, back to you in a moment, but um, many listeners will know exactly who you're talking about with Sir Gary, but Sir Gary Streeter, who is the current MP for South West Devon, who's also the chair of Christians in Parliament, is the man who you hope to succeed as the MP for South West Devon as he retires at the next election. What difference does it make to you having a Christian as a member of Parliament in your local community in uh, drawing you as a Christian into politics? I mean, I suppose, first and foremost, it was actually having somebody in my life who was a politician, mm. so the fact that I knew Gary from uh, a really young age, um, and obviously, you know, we haven't been cooking this up for the last three decades or anything <laughs> like that, but he, as many people will know, he's had a really influential role with lots and lots of Christians who are involved cross-party in politics over a number of years, and I suppose it meant I never had to question it was doable, because I had somebody in front of me who was clearly making a difference as a Christian in politics. Interestingly, I think I always thought he'd had an easier ride of it locally than he perhaps had. And so when I was a parliamentary candidate myself a couple of years ago and didn't find that every Christian in the city thought that that was great, um, I was a bit surprised because he'd always made it look like, you know, it was it was really easy. And, and actually, I think sometimes it can be a little tricky. But on the whole, having him as a role model, and we've had many a sit down in his office since I was probably in my mid-20s talking about what, what I thought I was going to do with my life. And um, eventually he started saying, do you not think you need to get on with this, basically? <laughs> I did hide from him for a while because I was a bit too scared to admit that maybe I did need to crack on with it. But eventually we fortunately had the conversation, which meant I said, Gary, I think I need to go for it. And obviously he was very supportive. Now, when you found yourself working in Parliament, you were working in the first place for the Conservative Christian Fellowship and how, how did that come about? So I have to say I am not a well-networked person I promise <laughs> so my parents are just really normal people I didn't go to private school and um, my dad fitted kitchens he had his own kitchen business but I think because I knew Gary and I had that step into doing work experience I then was able to get an internship at graduation and once you're in Westminster you meet people and mm. I think for me that stepping stone um, was really important and so through being in Westminster I met some people and I got approached to see if I wanted to go and work for them basically so the director at the time and I met for a cup of tea and he offered me my first job in the terrace tea room um, over a pound cup of tea probably and um, 
and that was that. So that was my first jump up to London. Um, and then I suppose the rest is is history, really. But but working for the Conservative Christian Fellowships given me that real it's really like further embedded my belief in um, the importance of having a group like that with each of our political parties. And I know you're really involved in in one and and um there's all sorts of key key people that are friends of mine who are engaged with with the other member groups within the faith community and and i was actually involved in setting up christians and politics which we set up as an umbrella group mm. so that there was none of that awkwardness of people going into a church and standing up and saying hello i'm a conservative you should be in politics we could go in and say i'm in politics why don't you think about doing the same thing and and in the pre-digital days we created a video back in 2005 to encourage Christians to actually get out and vote and you know be engaged and, and have an opinion. Which I remember and I think the the work that Britain in Politics does which began with a, a group of people which, in, which included you has been hugely influential in I think as as the, the phrase whether he coined it or not but I will say that he did that our friend Andy Flanagan often uses which is that kingdom comes before tribe and it gives us a sense of uh, being brothers and sisters in Christ, irrespective of our political uh, background. And may I add something there, actually? That's mm. also something Gary's really modelled. So, again, there's been a group of cross-party MPs who I knew had been meeting for years. And I was often friends with some of their staff. And one of the things of leaving London is the tribe does come first often. Whereas mm. in Westminster, the Christian community there means everybody is seriously following the party that they're with but can have a cup of coffee and a conversation with somebody and and take other people by surprise in doing that sometimes so actually one of your long-term staff members has been a friend of mine for nearly 20 years one of my best friends worked for Ming Campbell I've got a coffee tin that came in a Christmas hamper from him <laughs> downstairs <laughs> because she left it in our flat when she moved out <laughs> you know I've always had that that cross-party appreciation as a result I think of of working with others who are equally called to, to serve in that way. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're speaking with Rebecca Smith, the prospective parliamentary candidate for the Conservatives for South West Devon at the coming general election. Rebecca, take us back to uh, that period in, I think, what, between the, during the coalition years, I think, when you felt called to seek to become an MP. What, why do you think that calling came? So there have been all sorts of little ways that I feel God has spoken to me over the years about particular policy areas and the need to go out and be part of that. You know, nothing sort of thunderbolt from heaven, but just a continual confirmation. I think that interest I had at the beginning, and I think it's no coincidence when we're interested in something, you know, God often creates us to be interested in those things. I saw a lot of confirmation over the years, and I think God's been really good to me in terms of confirming that I'm still on the right path. So there's been several points where I'm, you know, I left politics for probably a good three or four years and, and kind of deliberately tested it. Have I done this? Is this enough? Around 20, 2010, I was like, God, do, do you want me to carry on? And it took a couple of years before I felt like he said yes. But once I had that confirmation again, just sort of, OK, well, what does that look like? And gradually, finally wrote down in a notebook maybe this is trying to become an MP and, and what would what would that look like I kind of couldn't get away from it in the end um I think I looked around me and thought actually I think I have got the right skill set and so maybe that's what God's called me to but again you start on that journey still wondering God you can close this door at, at any point and literally until I got selected that was I was like okay if you want to close the door just do it early so that I don't <laughs> keep doing this um 
But there have been, I mean, I could write, not write a book, but I could talk all day on the way he has spoken. But I think it's just been that constant confirmation um, through him opening doors, essentially, that I couldn't open on my own. Great. Now, just to help listeners understand the process. So you applied to become a candidate in the first place in the Conservative Party. You need to become approved and be on the party's list. How does how does that work? Well, you essentially fill out an initial application and then if they like you, you get invited to fill out a full application. It's it's changed a little bit since mm. I did it. But um, for those who listen to your podcast who are Anglicans, it's actually very similar to the um, the way of becoming a vicar um, yeah. in different stages. It's very similar. And so I feel you fill out an application form and, and then if they like you, they invite you to an interview. And when I did it, it was a five hour interview in person in Cambridge. So I had to travel all the way from Plymouth with a very, very heavy cold. Um, and you do all sorts of group exercises, one-on-one interviews. Um, what else did we do? Some written exercises, you know, what private members bill would you would you write? That sort of thing. And um, and then you wait on tenterhooks to see whether you've been accepted and you wait to see what level of pass they give you as well, which then has an impact on which seats you can apply for. Mm. So that happened for me 2016, 2017. And, um, I got a full pass, as they call it, but actually um, didn't stand in 2017 because there was nothing that really came up near Plymouth, where I'm based. Um, so I waited until seats started getting advertised in 2018 for what then became the 2019 election. Although in the meantime, you then have to get back on the candidates list. So there's a lot of jumping through hoops and I had to do that post 2019 again as well. So you you stood in Plymouth for a, a Labour seat um, where the Conservatives were competitive and you did well, but didn't didn't quite win much better than my first dry run. Um, how, what, what was it like? You put yourself through the process. You think you got a chance of winning and you don't. How do you deal with that? Yeah, so um, obviously the getting selected bit is the first challenge, which which happened. And when I was first selected, we weren't expecting to win the seat because it was pre everything that happened with Brexit. And then Brexit sort of turned the tables and suddenly there's a website called Electoral Calculus. I don't know how accurate it is. But <laughs> suddenly I was on holiday in, um, on the way to the Italian Grand Prix in Milan. And um, suddenly Electoral Calculus, I sat in my hotel room with a friend, was telling me I was going to win. <laughs> mm. We did have one evening of kind of, oh, my gosh, what would this mean? Um, <laughs> and then, unfortunately, the Brexit party decided to stand against all the Remainer Labour MPs. And I ended up having Anne Whittacombe throw herself in and um, which was actually very difficult because she's also a Christian. And there was one evening where I was beginning to get emails from Christians basically telling me I wasn't a Christian enough for them to oh, vote yes. because I wasn't her. who was obviously completely black and white and at the end of her career, <laughs> whereas mm -hmm. I was to be a bit more nuanced in terms of how I communicated my faith and, and what I might do when I get to Westminster. And I didn't want to go promising people things that I didn't mm -hmm. know. Um, if I could deliver on them and there was an evening where I was quite upset I think actually and the gosh I'm getting challenged on both sides here not only am I not Brexit enough but I'm also um, not a Christian enough I mean it was tough it was a really tough 13 months I was ill during the general election I couldn't hear out of one ear I had to do hustings with an ear infection I've never understood stereo until I realized that I was doing a hustings in a huge church hall and I couldn't hear out of one ear mm. and there was a baby screaming all the way through <laughs> and um and the glamour. So, but it taught me resilience and as you know if you don't do that 
you can't guarantee that you'll get another seat. Now, there are always those who come straight in off the back of the selection process and land mm. the seat of a lifetime, mm. but you just can't bank on that. And you have to put the hard work in, particularly if it's what you feel called to. You know, God can do a miracle, but it takes us to do the work on the ground here on earth to, yeah. to enable him to do that, doesn't it? So so I had to do it. It was good. I The feedback I got from my candidate opponent was... I'd fought a clean campaign, which I suppose is a pretty good accolade to, um, it is. to have. It is. Um, gave In me the brief time we got ahead of us now, Southwest Devon selection happened recently. What was it like doing a campaign, running a campaign, doing hustings in front of your own community? So we don't run a campaign as much in the Conservative Party. We're a little bit more kind of subtle in a way. <laughs> People might say I wasn't that subtle, but... I've spent the last year and a half getting to know people in the association. I've been a counsellor with them for five years as well. But once COVID finished and Gary had made it clear to me, at least, that he was going to retire, I kind of got stuck in. So I spent a lot of money going to ladies' lunches and dinners and things. But actually, do you know what? It's really nice because they're really nice people. So I've just spent the last year and a half getting to know a lovely group of people, some of whom were a shoo-in, some of whom were like, well, I'm going to get you through to the final but I won't get you any further so there's been all sorts of conversations um but it also just takes a lot of preparation and again you've got to be in it to win it so I've spent yeah. probably since Easter prepping an application form I've got a pile of pages behind me on the spare bed of all my notes and it's an amazing test of your memory <laughs> and because you literally in one sense you never get asked on everything in the same way um except perhaps in the run-up to a general election but you're mm. not in a hustings ahead of an election, people have kind of already decided they don't want to vote for you, whereas the people in a room at a selection are there to be one round. So it's two stages, eight down to three. I was lucky it all happened within one week, so I didn't have to wait too long. Um, and yeah, it happened and I got selected. And um, I still can't really believe it in many ways, but you obviously have to sort of crack on and, and get on with it. Um, but it's a huge privilege and honour to be selected to a place um, Sir Gary and feels really exciting to just carry on a little bit of his legacy hopefully as well. Well just as we come to our uh, close you've got obviously a big year ahead or however long it is until the next election how can we be praying for you and others who are preparing for election? I mean I think it goes without saying sort of protection because that you know you when you stick your head above the parapet you do get um knocked back quite a lot I'm at that early stage at the moment where not everybody's realized that there's a new candidate um I think the other thing is just that I would have balance so I'm I'm not married I don't have a family I don't have um children or anything so I I kind of don't have a natural pull to say stop <laughs> um mm. so I think I'm just sort of figuring out what that balance looks like because there's always something else to do so we talked before the interview about gardens I've got a garden that's quite nice um I like Formula One I try and prioritize watching the races for that um but I think just making sure that I stay sane in the next 12 to 40 months because ultimately I do stand a reasonably good chance of winning so if I'm not in a good place as a newly elected MP you take that with you I'm sure you would you know understand that so I think it's about getting those habits and things in place now that I may well have to take forward um once I'm up in Westminster god willing if that's that's where we end up <laughs> well it all sounds really wise Rebecca um it's a delight to talk to you we will pray for you and we hope to speak to you again take care 
Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It may be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. Drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. We didn't have a huge postbag this week, so there's a really, really strong chance that I'll be answering your question if you send it in over an episode in the next few weeks. Well, this week, Bruce in Kettering has been in touch and he asks the following. The Irish Senate looks likely to pass new laws around hate speech and hate crimes, which have the danger to seriously limit freedom of speech. I fear the UK is not too far behind. What can we be doing to prevent big problems for Orthodox Christians further down the line? Well, people talk about hate speech. I think let's first of all say as Christians that we should not be hateful people. And even people who uh, think bad things about us, we should think lovingly towards and about them. And so the language we use should not be deemed to be coarse or uh, bullying or unpleasant or to target anyone. So we should be careful what comes out of our mouth. Meanwhile, we should recognise that in a free society, there will be people who take offence at perfectly legitimate points of view, including the ones that we have as Christians. And the question is this, if we're going to defend the rights of Orthodox Christians to believe what the Bible says and to live faithfully and to speak about our faith to others, then we need to defend those rights. But I'm also going to say that we need to be prepared in a free and plural society to defend the rights of others. I often say that anybody can defend the rights of people who are like them and who like them. But it takes a liberal, uh, he says to defend the rights of people who are not like you and who do not like you. So let's be liberals, if I dare say that, um, in our approach to freedom of speech, defending it when it's in our own interests and also defending it when it comes from others who we may not agree with. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's join together as we finish this week in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for all those who will put themselves forward for election at the coming general election at some point over the next 18 months. We thank you for Rebecca, who we spoke to earlier. We thank you for her and we thank you that your hand is upon her. We pray for her, but all people in her position, Christians standing for Parliament, that you will protect them, uh, protect their home life, uh, keep them safe. Um, keep them sane, as Rebecca asks us to pray for, um, that they'd have a good balance of life in terms of uh, looking after themselves, keeping healthy mentally and physically, and uh, spending time with friends and in fellowship, keeping them rooted in your word and honouring you uh, and serving their communities well and effectively. And Lord, we think of our parliament, we see all the drama, the focus on personalities, short-termism, and yet um, we know there's so many huge issues domestically and internationally that need dealing with, that need wise and long-term solutions. We just pray maybe for less of the drama and more of the solutions uh, for people in public service to act as public servants. And I pray that you'd raise up those who would do just that. Um, we lift up our country to you and ask for your hand to be upon us. In Christ's name, we ask all these things. Amen. Well, look, I'm really grateful that you've joined us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. 